I'm Gab, he's Robbo. Jules is in Paris. Where else? That's where he was born and bred, they tell me. Uh, Blue skies over West London. Robbo, thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure, Gab. So much wonderful cup action. We have the League Cup semifinal. We'll be getting into that and commentating on both games. We've got the Coppa Italia. Guess what? Jose Mourinho did not get sent off, as far as I can tell. But he's not happy, though, is he? But, oh, he is unhappy. He is unhappy. Mira, now we're going to get into all this. Sancho has a home as well. But we got to start in the home of football, in Saudi Arabia. Um, the Spanish Super Cup, first semifinal. It was a Madrid derby. These two teams are going to face each other three times between now and February 4th, counting the Copa del Rey. And La Liga Atletico were the last team to have beaten Real Madrid in La Liga, I think it was 20 games ago. Um, but they didn't. Real Madrid won 5-3 at the end of an epic game. And to help us break it down, here's Alex Kirkland. Alex, epic? Is that is that fair? It certainly felt that way on television. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Whatever people think about the the format of this competition, the venue for this competition, this game was just terrifically entertaining. I mean, it had pretty much everything. It had some pretty shambolic defending from from both teams. It had goalkeeping blunders. It had one or two very, very good goals as, as well. And Real Madrid coming out on top in, in extra time to go through to the final. And and maybe we'll get a Clasico final, which, remember, is what this, this whole competition is engineered to produce. That's what the Federation wants. That's what the Saudi wants as well. They want Real Madrid-Barca in the final. They've got Real Madrid in the in the final here. And let's see if, if Barca can join them. Yeah, Barca play Osasuna uh, in a couple hours as we record this on a Thursday morning. Uh, Alex, I, I try to look, when, when games like these come on, I, I try to look sort of for overarching themes and that we then talk about on this show, right? And, all right, stuff that's familiar, Griezmann's capable of moments of absolute magic, which he, which he showed. Um, Atleti 2.0 have serious issues defensively, um, especially whoever's impersonating Stefan Savage at the back. Um, Real Madrid do not get flustered. Um, these are all things that we kind of knew and that we saw in the game. Um, and as evidenced by Real Madrid getting that late, late equalizer to make it 3-3 and send the game into, into extra time. What I was not expecting, I had no idea Ferlin Mendy was capable of such subtlety. Or was that just sheer dumb luck? I mean, you saw it. You, Rob, yeah, you yeah. saw it. You played football. When you see Ferlin Mendy do that, is that luck? No, that's, that's it's a good bit of skill. He, it, it was the right decision to make as well because the ball was rolled with a bit of pace into him, so he didn't need to he didn't need to put all the pace on it, and he just let it come off the outside of his boot into the corner. It was, it was a good run as well. He timed his run perfectly. The pass from Carvajal was good. Uh, yeah, that's not a bit of luck. That's a good bit of skill. Uh, we we mentioned Carvajal there. I, I think for me, he was for many. I suppose he was man of the match. I don't even know if they have a a proper Saudi uh, award for that. Yes, he did he win it? it? He got it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. How is he monstering everybody all of a sudden? He's in the form of his life, isn't he? It's, it, it's, he's been fantastic this this season. He's had problems for a long time with injuries. And it looks like, I mean, he, he's just come back from another injury. But generally this season, he's put those injury problems behind him. He's talked about changes to his diet in terms of how he looks after himself off the field as, as sort of improving his physical condition. But yeah, I think he's in the, the best form of his, his career. And you look at his contribution to this game, scored a brilliant goal. Was involved in at least two of the other goals. I, I think. Um. Yeah. He's been. He's been a very important and underrated element of Real Madrid season. I think because of course players like 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 Bellingham and Rodrigo and and Vinicius get all the hype and Rudiger at the back has been the outstanding defender for for Real Madrid this season. But Danny Carvajal is is right out there. I mean, some of these qualities he's always had. He's always been an amazing 
a competitor, really aggressive, a little bit dirty, willing to get stuck in the kind of player that you need in a in, in, a, in a team like this. He's a leader, of course. He's one of the captains. He's a he's a Real Madrid youth product. Um, but he's also got a lot of ability and he's got a lot of quality and he's got pretty good technique. And maybe those elements of his game haven't necessarily been appreciated so much over the years. And like I say, he's also spent too much time injured over the last few seasons. But yeah, he's been very, very good this season. And, and as we say, he was the man of the match without question last night. But the system suits him th- th- because he's almost playing as a right winger at times. Every switcher play, not so much last night, but when Tony Kroos is playing, Tony Kroos's pass is always that big diagonal out to, to Carvalho. And it means Valverde is tucking in in the third midfield role. Uh, they don't play with a wide player on the right-hand side. Rodrigo and, and Vinicius Junior are playing sort of inside right and inside left positions. So the attacking player down the right-hand side is Carvalho. So now we are seeing his attacking qualities. All right, let's dig, let's dig a little further in this. Um, if we were to break it down and give, you know, pretend it's figure skating and basically award, award this on points, I think Real Madrid were the more mm-hmm. deserving side Yep. Uh, on points. I thought All Black, in fact, All Black and Kepa, I thought Kepa made at least one really good save. All Black made several. And then it felt as if like their paths kind of, Diverged as the game went on, were kept obviously responsible for the third goal. But um, Alex, a, do you agree with my assessment that Real Madrid were deserving winners, even though the game could have obviously gone either way? Um, and B, Kepa's doing himself no favors, right? Yeah, I think Real Madrid, especially as the game went on, especially as we got to extra time, I think we clearly were were the better team. We saw it with the changes. The hand shot he was able to make as well, bringing on players like uh, like Joselu, uh, getting some fresh legs out there. I think you can see that Madrid's squad is better than Atletico's, and, and I think that's why Real Madrid really dominated extra time. And that was when they went on and, and won it, of, of course. Before that, over the 90 minutes, yeah, it was pretty much even. But I think after extra time, you look back at it as a whole. And I think Madrid certainly deserved the win. Um, Kepa is a funny one, and Carlo Ancelotti's kind of um, discourse on this has changed over the last few months. When Kepa was first injured before Christmas and Andre Lunin came in, and Jalotti said, no, when Kepa's back from injury, Kepa will be back in goal. That's gone away. That's not the case anymore. Ever since then, ever since Lunin came in and did really well, and I think looked a better goalkeeper than Kepa, Ancelotti hasn't said that. Now he says, look, I'm choosing game by game. He wouldn't say again, even after the game last night, who would be his goalkeeper for the, for the final. My feeling is that I think that he's chosen Lunin as his goalkeeper in La Liga, and I think in the Champions League as well. And I think he's giving Kepa these games in the Copa del Rey in January. And in the Super Cup, I think Kepa essentially has become the cup keeper because Lunin's played better. Lunin's more convincing. Kepa, yeah, he makes the odd good save, as you as you say, but it just feels like a familiar image. What we saw in this game, we saw it from Kepa earlier in the season. Him, you know, the ball in the back of the net. Kepa protesting a foul that you know that he's somehow been kind of impeded or or, or pushed or, or something when he just hasn't been strong enough. That aspect of his game has always been an issue, and it was an issue again here. And I just think Ancelotti's. I think he's made his mind up. I mean, he won't come out and say that because he, he doesn't want to destroy Kepa's confidence in case he, he needs him. But like I say, my feeling is that is that Kepa starts games like this, but in the really crunch games in the Liga, in the Champions League, unless things change drastically, I think Lunin's the map. Well, you say really crunch games, what would a hypothetical Classico in the Super Cup final be? Would that be a really crunch game? It's still the Super Cup. It's, it's still the least important trophy. I mean, it's a trophy, but it's the least important trophy of the, of the season. I, it feels kind of more important than it used to when it was glorified pre-season friendly because of where it comes in the season. Because it's mid-season, it feels like sort of the serious business starts now, right? But it's still the Super Cup. Uh, it, it's still the, the least important trophy of the of the season, So even if it's a classical, I think. Kepa or Lunin for you? Lunin. 
Uh, I don't rate Kepper at all. Uh, I want a goalkeeper that's going to be dominant when crosses come into the box. I want a goalkeeper, and Alex just said it, who doesn't mode every time the ball goes in the back of the net, claiming there's been a foul against him. I just don't think he's strong enough. And he's lost confidence over his time at Chelsea and over his time at Real Madrid. He's just not, not quite the keeper that everybody expected him to be. I want to pull you up just slightly on him. I'm going to just as my contrarian self, Alex, don't take it uh, personally. You talked about uh, depth of the two squads. Now, obviously, Real Madrid have a higher wage bill and have better players. But when you think of depth, I kind of I've been taught to sort of think of the drop off between the the starters and the people who replace them. Like that's my definition of depth, not who has the better guys off the bench. And I look at this, and I actually think Atleti are are a pretty deep squad. When when you look at when you look at who came on, it's, I think it's maybe it's also because Simeone likes to rotate and change things around. Mm. Like we saw, I think few of us had would have had Saul as a as a starter. I certainly wasn't expecting that. But you know, he was in terms of the bench, he was able to to to, to bring on uh, Ange Correa, uh, Vitzel, who normally starts. Um, you know, Molina were. It's not like Molina is markedly worse than than their starting fullback. So when I put these things together, um, I wonder, does he really have more depth? Because Real Madrid, yeah, they brought on old Kroos and, and, and Camavinga, but they also brought on old Jose Lu, Brian Diaz, who nobody, people seem to treat like a bit of excrement stuck to their shoe in the summer when, <laughs> when he returned. Dani Ceballos even more so. And Arda Goulet, who I know we're all ecstatic about, but still just 18 years old, and I think this is only his second ever game for Real Madrid. Look, I, I think you've been a bit high. I think old Tony Cross is still Tony Cross. To me, he's still one of the best midfielders around. And when he came on, I think he was one of the best players on the on the pitch last night. Camavinga, what a, what a, what a substitute to have, Eduardo Camavinga, especially in the later stages of, of games with the energy that he that he brings. Hosolu, who's who's a very effective goal threat, as he saw as he showed with his involvement. In the um, in the fourth goal, even if it wasn't um, given to him in the end, Brahim Diaz, who yeah, is sort of has come in and become arguably one of Real Madrid's most important players in the last few weeks with the goals he's scoring, the contributions he's making. A lot of people here, and partly it's because he's Spanish, and there's always that bias here in favour of Spanish players, are saying that he should be starting every week. So I don't know. I think you've been a little bit. I, I think you've underrated a little bit there, Real Madrid's bench players. And yes, Atleti have a strong squad. Yes, they do. But I think Real Madrid's, I think the quality of those players that we've just talked about from Real Madrid bringing on, I, I think it's a step up. Yeah, I would say, I sort of agree with, with you, Gab. I mean, those players that came on, if they came on for Simeone, would they be as good as they are for Ancelotti? I think that's where the difference lies between the two sides at the moment. One's got a manager that knows exactly what he's trying to do and they play the same system every week. The other one, is caught in between the devil and the, the deep blue sea. And I'm not convinced by Atleti. There was only about three or four weeks ago when we went to Barcelona uh, and Atleti were going to win the league, according to two or three of the pundits, because they were in good, decent form. And then we saw a, a limp performance against Barcelona with João Felix uh, coming to the fore against his old team. And since then, I'm just not convinced by them. I'm not convinced by the coach either. Yeah, I, so that's a, that's a very good transition there, Alex. Help me understand, because obviously they, they are the only team to have beaten Real Madrid uh, this season in La Liga. Three-headed goals, as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, but equally, why is it not working for El Cholo? Is it as simple as saying, look, you've chosen to be more attacking and people are still understanding this? 
Um, is it that there's been a big drop off in the individual quality at the back? Is that something Ronaldo can mm -hmm. can fix if he's fit again? Um, and I'm a big fan of his. Uh, or or is is there something else? Because he seems to be anchoring continuously. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand quite how drastic it's been these last few weeks when you look at the volume of goals conceded. You look at the fact that they conceded three goals against Hetafe, four goals against Girona, five goals here against Real Madrid. These are sort of unprecedented numbers, really, for Diego Simeone teams. And I don't, I'm not sure I can identify one factor. Yes, individual form is, is part of it. You mentioned Savic and how poor he's been. You look at someone like Jimenez, who wasn't great last night either. Um, Oblak, who has been a very good goalkeeper for Atletico Madrid, but um, I, I don't know. Again, I didn't think he was great last night. Um, you heard Antoine Griezmann after the game talking about this and talking about it being a collective issue, not being about just the defenders, being about the way the team defends as a whole. Um, but Simeone, and Simeone himself, Simeone was trying to take the, kind of the pressure off the players when he was asked about this in his post-match interview. Simeone said, well, it's the coach. It's the coach who, who is at fault. It's the coach who needs to find the, uh, the answers. But he hasn't found those those answers yet because they keep conceding all these all these goals and it, like I say it's so it's so unathletico. Um, I want to speak of defending. Obviously, this is my this is my pet yeah. issue. But I want to get your because I, I I can't ask Jules about this anymore because otherwise he gets angry because I keep repeating myself. So just going to throw it out to you guys. Eden Militao out. David Alaba out. Potentially suspension prone Antonio Rudiger mm -hmm. and Nacho, who turns 34, I think, uh, next month or, or maybe even next week. Um, he's like, oh, no, those will be my two center backs. Okay, one of them, what if one of them is missing, Carlos? Like, well, uh, we can play Chuameni there, who I don't think has ever played there before this season, not as an emergency center back. And obviously, Chuameni, while he's really, really good. If he's playing center back, he can't also be your defensive midfielder, which means then you have to play Kamavinga there, yeah. which means Kamavinga then can't be your left back at the same time, yeah. right? So it just seems like you're playing musical chairs. Or he came up with this, oh, I'll be playing Dani Carvajal at, at center back, right? Which again, yeah, he's a defender, but we had Robbo earlier telling us about how good he was going forward and what he can contribute. And again, Carvajal, wonderful player. If Carvajal is playing center back, though, he can't also play right back, which means what? Lucas Vasquez? Valverde mm -hmm. right back? I, I I kind of feel that people should be talking more about this, and what I see is completely nonsensical, why I think Ancelotti, maybe his nose was getting a little bit longer when he was saying that, uh, and that the club will bring somebody in. But am I, am, when, for, I, I, I want to get you, your view first, Robbo. Uh, about this, yeah. The the problem with bringing somebody else in, you still got some exceptional players who are injured at the moment, and might be in for quite a while. If you bring somebody in, what sort of player are you going to bring in? Rafael Varane on loan. So you took. So that's what you're talking about. Bringing somebody well, in on loan. Just I, I need to, somebody just short term. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to spend. So, you need to spend a hundred million so on the centre back. I, I fully understand that that you could get somebody. <laughs> a in body. A, a body. Somebody. A good player. It can't just be anybody. Yeah. He's got to be a good player that you get on loan that can fill in when somebody gets suspended or somebody gets injured exactly. and he comes in and you keep the same shape. So you can keep Carvajal at right back. You can keep Mendy or Camavinga at left back. Whoever you want. You don't bring Chuamani back into a centre half position. So I fully understand that. Alone is the right thing for Real Madrid to get at the moment. Centre half. Not Leo Bonucci, though. Not no. Bonucci. No. He's off the market now. Uh, Alex, tell me if I'm wrong. Are, are, are people 
freaking out about this or are they just like, ah, look, we're undefeated in 20. <laughs> I think the key thing here is that I don't think it's just Carlo Ancelotti's decision. I, I, Ancelotti's no, no, it's definitely not his decision. So, yeah, believe so me, he, believe me. I can assure yeah. you, I can't get into it too much. Yeah. It's definitely not his decision. But and, then and help so me understand the says, club's view because there's a lot of money at yeah. stake here. I mean, Ancelotti said before Christmas when Alaba got injured, um, he said, look, we'll talk to the club to see what we can do. That was him saying, well, we need to go and do something. And the answer that came back from the club was no. Um, so the club clearly thinks that they can muddle through with with Rudiger and Nacho. I mean, you say that Rudiger's suspension prone. I mean, Nacho's had, what, two two red cards this, this season and two suspensions himself. So um, he, he again just came back from one. So he's you know he's not exactly always reliable either. Um, I agree that this, the idea that Danny Carver-Howe can fit in at centre-back is sort of baffling because he hasn't really, really ever ever done it. Um, Mendy, okay, maybe. True, Mendy looks okay when he's there and yes, maybe he's got alternatives in midfield, but it's, yeah, I, I, I understand the I understand the, the question. I guess the club thinks that, uh, Robbo says you need a player of the requisite quality. I guess the club think that that player, that player isn't available. And that Militao, let's see, let's see if Militao is back in March, I guess would be the earliest you'd really look at Minitel being back. But if he's back by March, you've got him for the last couple of months of the season. But he had an ACL, right? Yeah. So even when you come back with an ACL, you're yeah. not, you know, you, you you don't hit the ground running straight away. Like it's 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 yeah. it's but a big. What, what competition would you expect uh, where they would need a center, another centre half if if somebody got injured? La Liga, I think they can probably still win it without uh, too much cover. There's another team that has the exact same points as they do. Yeah. Now, if we're all just going to take for granted that Girona are going to disappear in a puff of smoke, fine. No, no. But I think that would be. But I don't think I don't. I still think that Real Madrid will be good enough to win a lot of their games. Sure. So maybe Girona as well. It's going to be the other competitions, in particular the Champions League. How many players wouldn't be cup tied for the Champions League? Well, to get somebody on loan. I, I, I think there I think there are ways around it, um, is what I'm saying. Uh, I want to ask you, is this guy Carrillo who all right, I only I, I confess, I only saw the highlights of the game against Arantina, the Real Madrid B defender. Mm-hmm. I know he's played a lot of a lot of played a lot of games for for, for Raul at, at, at Castilla. I have no idea if you can even judge him based on those ninety minutes. Could he be somebody who who steps up like La like Quinta del Buitre did back in the nineteen eighties? <laughs> That's setting the bar quite high, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah. In, in an emergency, sure, but I mean, he's not there. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a player they like. He's a player they've liked in the academy for for a while, and like you say, he's got a lot of experience with uh, with Castilla. But he's not. He's not ready to come in and play for the first team every week. So again, that would be. I think that Ancelotti would prefer the likes of an out of position to a many, or maybe even an out of position uh, Fernandi or Carvajal rather than Carrillo. Is my feeling. Fernandi, who also, according to Jules, who's tracked Fernandi since birth. Uh, has never played centre back mm-hmm. in his life, even though I, I think I was involved in the argument when you were having it with uh, Jules on the. Oh, were, yeah, were you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just said I I don't get this, and I take your point about cup tied players. Yeah, uh, look, I know Varane hasn't been pulling up trees. I mm-hmm. think it's very obvious he has an issue with the coach at yep. Manchester United. But goodness me, if you can get him for six months, pay a chunk of his wages, you make Ten Hag happy, mm-hmm. and you bring somebody in and. Even if he don't doesn't play in the Champions League, like so what? Yeah, it gives you takes pressure off you in the league. Yeah, Nacho and, and Rudiger can, can can take turns resting. He knows the club. He knows Ancelotti. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. Know. That's just my view. Um, we mentioned Tony Kroos there. Uh, it was very evident that he was being booed because of things he'd said about Saudi. Now, 
A lot of people have said a lot of things about Saudi Arabia and their human rights records. I'm going to go out on a limb, since I know a little bit about how the media works since I've made my living this way for 30 years, is that some of the things he said were picked up by the local media in Saudi Arabia, and or whether it was social media or whatever, and they were presented all over the place, and people took this very, very personally. I Did anybody address this, Alex, from, from what you've seen? I mean, is... Is this an issue? Does anybody care in Spain? Like, um, it's cross a, being whistled. Um, it, it, well, first of all, people were like, well, hang on. What? Like, I, I was watching on, on TV here in Madrid, and the, I heard you could hear the TV commentators in real time picking up on the whistles and trying to work out why Cross was being whistled. And first they were like, is it because he's German? Um, and then the penny drops. And it is, it is because, I mean, he, there's two things in particular from Cross. One was when um, Gabri Vega left um, highly rated probably saw breakout star in La Liga last season, left Celta Vigo last summer, moved to Saudi. And his career has really taken off since then. Yeah. We talk about him every week. Yeah, yeah, great decision, Um, at least for his bank balance. Um, But um, Cross commented on, I think it was on Instagram, embarrassing on a a post about that move. So you you, you can't really be more forthright than that. There was also an interview that Cross talked about, um, you know, say to the obvious, that these players are going to Saudi Arabia for for money, and he he said it was bad for for football. Cross is very forthright. He talks about stuff in a way that most players don't. You know, he's got his own podcast. Uh, we're sad that I don't listen to because I don't speak German, but I hear it's very entertaining. Um, but yeah, I was surprised. I, I was surprised at the the way that he was singled out here and, and just how obvious it, it, it was. Like, like you say, this may be something about these comments that ha- I guess had been picked up and reflected in in Saudi Arabia. But um, this, I mean, they, they were last August. So it was, it was a few months ago and it was obviously still on people's people's minds. I don't know. Or more broadly about the Super Cup, just just about the format. Obviously, um, Italy of late loves to copy everything that Spain do, um, other than you know having something reasonable like the um, uh, like the salary cap yeah. that they have in Spain. Um, so obviously, we we have it in Serie A too. We'll be going over next weekend. This four game format. I think it's actually more exciting than the one-off games. Um, did, did you agree with it, Alex? Yeah, I think I have to separate out a couple of different things. I think the final four format is great and it works. It feels bigger. It feels more exciting. I think playing it at this stage of the season rather than preseason works as well. I think we maybe separate th- that those things from where it's being hosted and question marks about, about Saudi Arabia. And the other issue that has people really wound up here in Spain is the way that the prize money is allocated for the teams that take part. Because Real Madrid and Barcelona, by the fact that they are Madrid and Barcelona, they take home a lot more, significantly more prize money than the other teams do. I think it's something like they each get 6 million euros for taking part. Atletico get 3 million. Osasuna, poor Osasuna, get under a million euros, simply because of who they are. And that on its face just seems to me to be fundamentally unfair. So it's not based on your standing in the league. So if Girona, no, it's based to... on them being them. It's because the or the the competition, you know, the the hosts want Madrid and Barca to to, to be there. It's literally Wait. because it's them. In fact, this came up, for example, with um with, with Luis Rubiales when he was still in charge of the Spanish Football Federation because Rubiales was getting he was getting a bonus and he was getting paid more if Madrid and Barca qualified for the Super Cup than if they didn't. And of course, that raised, that raised conflict of interest, but no. he had to change that. So yeah, there, 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 are, there are questions there. Uh, is this the deal? Did Jared Piquet um, negotiate this deal? To, to Saudi, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. yeah, just checking, just checking. Yeah, yeah. 
But the competition, uh, I, well, I did it last season. I'm doing the game Barcelona Osasuna tonight. Um, you know, I, I was expecting it to be a half-hearted tournament, but it wasn't last no, year. Right. It, it was. It was a tremendous. Uh, we did all three games. It was tremendous. Three games. Uh, the, the, you could tell the players and the, and the clubs wanted to win it. Barcelona celebrated it as if it was any other tournament uh, when they won it last year, and I'm sure Real Madrid or Barcelona or Osasuna would do the same this year. It, it feels a lot bigger when yeah. you have this Final Four format. Absolutely, it, it really does, and and I think. Cup games in general feel bigger. I mean, I was looking again at the Coppa Italia this week, which was always like kind of an annoyance to clubs, but like, I guess huge audiences. It's on yep. free TV. Stadiums are packed. People seem to really, really like it. Despite what some presidents think, um, you know, people still like to watch football. S- supporters love to watch cup football on television. They like to go to games. It's a one-off, uh, one-off yeah. game. It's, it's brilliant. Um, Alex, final point um, on this and the the relationship with Saudi Arabia, because I've heard people say this is a great advert for um, for Spanish football, and, and and it was. I mean, it, re- it really was. At the same time, it was an advert that people in a lot of countries, especially in Europe, didn't see because the the rights to this are held by the Spanish Federation, not by the Spanish League, so it's not part of that package. So in a number of countries, including the United Kingdom, where, where we're based, including Italy, and, and I, I, I had the list, I forget the other ones, but a lot of major countries, this game was simply not on television. Nobody bought it. The reason being, because at the moment, in other in other countries, the Super uh, super cover or the, or the like, the Community Shield doesn't mean anything. It will do if you keep seeing games like this and tournaments but, like this. But I am wondering... Uh, Tebas is very internationalist in his outlook with La Liga and whatever. Um, has he pointed this out or have, have people talked about this, about how here's a great game involving great players as a showpiece of our league, but people don't get to see it? I think the federation taking the Supercopa abroad was less about um, being an advert for Spanish football and more about maximizing the income to the, to the Spanish Football Federation, uh, which, which is fine. Um, it's understandable from their point of view that they make lots and lots, yeah, millions and millions and millions more from hosting the Supercopa in Saudi Arabia than they did when it was a two-legged um, home-and-away um, glorified preseason friendly. So it, it was all about the income rather than, as you say, more of a kind of a long-term view in terms of expanding, I guess, the, the, the brand and the growth of the competition and getting eyeballs on the competition. I don't think they've necessarily thought that that far ahead. Yeah, like you guys say, the best, the best advert is... A game like last night because it was it was terrific. And if I were really cynical, I might even suggest that people who have a real interest in getting eyeballs to La Liga, that would ends up benefit benefiting La Liga and Javier Tebas. And this is obviously a property that doesn't belong to La Liga. It belongs to the Federation and Rubiales and whatever Muppet replaced him. So maybe they're a little bit at odds. Maybe they get judged more by keeping the clubs happy by sending all this money to Real Madrid and Barcelona. Alex, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Kevin. All right, enough Super Cup. Let's go to the League Cup here in England. First semi-final on Tuesday, uh, Middlesbrough from the Championship yep. against Chelsea. And I want to get you on it, Robbo, because Borough emerges 1-0 victors. Um, Jules and I have very specific thoughts about Chelsea. I don't think Chelsea were anywhere near, and I've been very critical of the way Chelsea have played this season, I don't think they were anywhere near as bad as... 
people remember them or, or pe- people think they're anywhere near as bad as they've been in other games, including games that they've won. Mm. <laughs> there haven't been many. I thought in this game, if Cole Palmer puts his chances away, Burrow have to open up, and then that's it. It was to me, it was more the idea that, oh, we haven't scored. Burrow defending well, and then things get more and more chaotic. I think the and, and I, might, yeah, am I being too kind to you're being too kind. I think okay. because the the chances that came Cole's way were almost given to them by Middlesbrough. A couple of poor passes, House and tried to play across to the fullback, and Palmer intercepted it and should have scored. There was another one that they lost possession trying to play it from the back. Middlesbrough and it came to to, to Palmer. But what I can't understand with Chelsea, I don't understand what their philosophy is, what they're trying to do, the lack of tempo in their game, how they're going to break down opposition, have they got a game plan to break down the opposition. It just seems to be a little bit um, tepid, a little bit, you know, there's times when Thiago, so I'm, I'm thinking, watching the game as a commentator, as a, as, a, as a former coach, thinking you've got to play with more time, get the ball forward quicker, get it into the front area. And there's Thiago Silva saying to everybody, calm down, let's keep the ball round the back. I'm not sure what the philosophy is for. When Maybe Pochettino, if you'd played until 39, you yeah. would have been going like this a lot. When Pochettino came to Southampton, when he first came to Southampton, everybody could see, oh, look at that style of football. This is what he wants from, yeah. from the team. He then got the Tottenham job and did exactly the same there and made a big impact very early on. I don't see that impact at the I, moment with Chelsea. I think together with Ancelotti, Pochettino, and maybe there's something in it because mm. they both have a very vague physical yeah. roundedness, right? I don't think there's another manager who has changed so much mm. from his early days. Yep. Now, I, obviously, they, 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 they can still do the high press, high tempo mm. game, but this Pochettino is nothing like the guy who was at Southampton. Exactly. But is that by design? But, Presumably, he says, like, okay, we won't play at this higher pace because we want to play around you. We yep. want to... I mean, presumably, that's the plan. It is, but if you, if you were playing against any side, you still have to do it with pace. And there's times when you you work the ball, you pass the ball to create an overload or, uh, uh, somewhere on the field, or you get somebody that's got a bit of time on the ball. They do that, get somebody with time on the ball, and then instead of making the most of that time on the ball, they then come back and play out from what they've just achieved. And that's what I don't understand. As a coach, you'd be saying you, to the player, now you've got yourself turned, you've got yourself in an open position, now be more positive. So Chelsea had about a zillion players unavailable for this mm. game, as it feels like they've had most of the season. And I, what gets me a bit about this is I look at all these guys who are missing, and yes, if you'd have Fit and Kunku all season, presumably go straight to the side. Yeah. Um, Broja and Mudrik were actually the only two senior players they, they had on the bench. The rest were kids. Yeah. Sanchez is out, but I think, frankly, it's much of a muchness between him and and and, and Petrovic, Petrovic, right? Yeah. Reese James is obviously missing, and if yeah. he were fit all season, which he hasn't been for a long time, then presumably he'd be an automatic choice. I couldn't think of anybody else who I would say, oh, yes, oh, they really missed him. Mm. We're talking about really missing somebody who's generally injured for a very long time and somebody who's hardly played for the club. Uh, that, to me, is the real worry here. Yeah. Because the guys who are out there are essentially, most of those guys are your starters. Yeah. And you look at players that everybody was talking about when he was at Brighton, Caicedo. You saw him as a high-energy player that could do both sides of the game, was dynamic. I'm seeing a player that's very average at the moment. He's not playing badly, but he's, he's very average. Enzo Fernandez, a World Cup winner, who, when he was playing for Benfica, could make forward runs, would defend well, pass it well. Again, he's, he's doing okay. Is, he's is not, there a he's not doing anything thing? exceptional. Is there leadership in the team? Should should the players 
be urging each other to to do better. Because uh, I also wonder if you know there's nobody competing for your job because everybody's mm. injured. Do you sometimes say, "All right, let me pace myself a little bit"? Does that actually happen at professional level? Uh, it it can do, but I don't think that's the case. I I just don't think they realise the urgency of situations. You know, uh, I did the game also when they played Preston. The first half against Preston was pathetic almost. You know, if if you were a Chelsea fan, you would say, what are we trying to achieve here? We've got 80% possession, but we're creating one or two chances in, in or, or getting one or two shots away in the whole of the first half. It all changed when they scored the first goal in the second half. But I just, there was a lack of urgency. So they could, they've got 90 minutes to turn it around. Hmm. If you were a betting man, you still expect them to. Right? Yeah. So if they because could score, Middlesbrough, yeah. You know, I, I I discovered that that's where Michael Carrick was. Yeah. I think they had a lot of guys missing as well. Yeah. And it looked like they said, all right, anything we get out of this game is gravy. And i gotta, I got to say, the difference in athleticism between Chelsea's players and Middlesbrough's players was ginormous. And I don't think they'd be able to cope uh, with, the, with that intensity in the second game. All right, enough cup stuff. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, Gabs. Liverpool have to huff and puff before coming from behind to beat Fulham 2-1 in the first leg of the other League Cup semi-final. Robbo, shades of the Arsenal game where they kind of throw up a stinker and then come alive in the second half? Yeah, first half, uh, they had lots of possession but didn't play particularly well, didn't create too many opens. There was too much Sterile passing. possession. Sterile possession. Uh, too much passing, not enough penetration. Uh, and Fulham had a chance maybe to go 2-0 up and after that when they scored their first goal then you got the Liverpool roar the the Enfield roar they played much better but it's going to be a tight second game I would say Curtis Jones I think right now arguably Liverpool's best player of the ones where they're available he's been excellent this season Milan are out of the Coppa Italia beaten 2-1 at home by Atalanta but Gab they're not happy about the penalty converted by Coop Miners yeah the uh, Robocoop as uh, he's known to his friend I mean then took the lead 1-0 um, great goal from Rafael Leao. Just, just, just a tremendous sweeping move between him and and Theo. Um, but then Coop Miners pulls one back almost straight away, and then they get this penalty where it's Alex Jimenez on Miranchuk. If you get a chance to see this, it's a classic case where the defender puts his leg across, and then Milan argue. I think with some legitimacy, the striker just runs into him. Mm. Um, so they do have VAR, uh, unlike the League Cup semifinals. I think they have reason to be feel a little bit aggrieved. Oh, and Gasparini, the lovable Gasparini getting sent off in this game. You don't like bench, Gasparini, do. do you? No, I really don't. No, like you it. don't. I've realized that after a while. This was way back on Monday, but Manchester United beat Wigan 2-0. So they advance in the FA Cup. Robbo, signs of life? <sighs> to a certain degree. I mean, this Wigan... better. It's better. They won the game, uh, I wouldn't say comfortably, but they had lots of possession. Wigan played very much, as you would expect, uh, on the back foot and defended, tried to counter-attack, had a chance early on. But apart from that, it was a fairly easy game for Manchester United and one that I don't think tells you anything about their way, where, they are, right where they are right now. It was a Rome derby in the other Coppa Italia game on Wednesday night and Lazio had the upper hand 1-0. Gab, I'm guessing Mourinho wasn't too happy, was he? Yeah, so this game was very old school. It was... so. First half was horrendous to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, second half, I thought, came alive much better, especially after after Lazio got their penalty, which Roma complained. It's one of those penalties where, again, if you haven't seen it, where a player's going to kick the ball 
and the opponent just gets, puts his foot in the way, didn't he? Puts his foot in yeah. the way. Mourinho says that this is a modern penalty. This is this never used to be called. First of all, is Mourinho right? I don't remember this being called very often. I think it, it, was, if if it wasn't if there wasn't VAR, it wouldn't be called because it, yeah. it looked as though two players are going for the ball at the same time, and the referee would have been very hard pressed to say who got the ball and who got the the player. Um, but obviously, after that. I mean, Roma, Roma, I think you weren't playing too much as they didn't really have a chance on goal until like the very end with, with Belotti. And then after that, there was a weird overhead kick from Lukaku. But mm. but but we're talking like sort of minute 90, right? Um, I think Lazio probably deserved it on, on the balance of play. But I, I agree with you. I think Mourinho has a point about that penalty. In the end, obviously, because it's a Rome derby, it turned into mm. a zoo and three players were sent off. Of course, um, yeah. As you do, including the Roma captain, Mancini. Back to United. Jaden Sancho is reportedly having his medical today. Jules and I have weighed in on this extensively. How do you see it, Robbo? How quickly can you, especially how quickly can you come back after not playing competitive football, being fit, but not playing competitive football for, what, three, four months? Uh, I think you can do it. It depends how much he has worked with the reserve side or the under-21s, whoever he's training with. He won't be fit if he's just trained with them. If he's gone and done other work away from it, and I, I can talk from experience because I was out for a year and a half. Yeah, but you were injured. I was injured, but I still, I, I, I had a long period where I was getting myself fit and I turned up to, to West Ham and said, I'm fit to play. And they played me in the game and I played really well uh, because I knew I'd done all the right work. If Jaden Sancho has just gone, a, gone through the motions, that's a, that's a problem. If he's worked extra hard away from the club, then he'd be ready to play straight away, I would say. I wonder where he fits in, because they have a lot of wingers in attacking midfield. They certainly do. Uh, Radu Dragozin is on his way to Spurs in a deal worth $30 million, I presume that is, or is it £30 million? Pounds? It's Euros. It's Euros, Euro, should I say. Is he really the Iranian uh, Van Dyke? Well, let's see. He's a tall central defender with a man bun, so surely he must oh. be. Um, like he's, he's a physical defender. I think he can. he's, he's decent on the ball. I don't Personally, I don't think he's better than Romero and and Van de Veen based on what I've seen so far. But he has he has a high ceiling. I think he can yeah. continue to improve. Uh, I think playing for Genoa and playing for Spurs and Postecoglou Spurs, it's going to require a pretty a really big ad- adjustment. Yeah, and he's going to have to do that on the fly. Is he athletic enough? <sighs> we'll find out. Uh, he's certainly strong enough. Yeah. Nasser Khalifi says Paris Saint-Germain are the right club for Kylian Mbappe and he wants him to stay. Are they the right club for Mbappe in the career development? I would say not. Uh, and I would say Mbappe feels not that he keeps on wanting to go elsewhere every every transfer window or, or talking about going somewhere every transfer window. The ideal move, I think, was it has to be to Real Madrid at some point because that would be, as long as Ancelotti's still the manager, because I know you love Ancelotti, but Ancelotti seems to get the best out of top-class players. So I would think the best move would be to, to move away from uh, from uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Gab, who is Mahmoud Joueli? Is that, have I pronounced him right? I don't, my Georgian isn't great. And why are we talking about him? So he is Kvitscha Kvartskelia's agent who's opened up a little bit of... Uh, uh, he's opened up a major can of worms uh, at Napoli. Kraskelia, of course, coming from Dinamo Batumi, generally unknown, does fantastic. So he's still on his tiny, tiny contract. He does deserve a new one, even though he signed up long term. Um, and so they are negotiating, but Napoli have all the leverage here. But then his agent came out and he said, and I quote, Osimhen got a lot of money, but I'll tell you now, he's going to go to Saudi Arabia next year. Um, to which Osimhen replied, 
you piece of feces, except you didn't say mm-hmm. feces, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're an idiot, don't you ever mention my name. Timo Werner to Spurs, also done an official now. Is he a good fit? Oh, don't make that phase. Remember good Timo before yeah. he came to the Premier League? Three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago, where I expect him to do wonderful things at Chelsea because he had pace, he scored goals, he looked as though he's a clever mover off the ball, but we didn't see that at Chelsea. I think he's lost his confidence. He's not been so good when he's gone back to, to Bundesliga. I think he'd be a squad player for Spurs more than anything else. Uh, as a loan, it, it's okay. I wouldn't buy him uh, outright as a permanent the, move. I, I think he was poor at Chelsea and way overpaid at Chelsea. Um, but I think a lot of his mistakes were finishing errors. Mm. I think Ange knows that, that he may or may not regain that. But he does. He can do a, so much for you in terms of energy, in terms of work yep. off the ball. Maybe he'll turn into some Gabriel Jesus type. And you like Ange as well, don't you? You think he's a great manager. Maybe he'll get the best out of Timo Werner. Let's hope he he does. 14 and a half million pounds to make the move permanent for Wurtzhaw. Not a bad deal. Gab, the African Cup of Nations kicks off this weekend. Who have you got to win it? Um, So, all right. So I'm obviously going to be partial to Nigeria and Victor Mm -hmm. Seaman and the Super Eagles. I have a lot of love for them. They do find a way to screw it up. I suspect the bookies think so too because they're only um, six favorites. Um, Morocco... Are people's favorites? I'm guessing owing to the World Cup. Yeah, I, I don't know that you would have them necessarily ahead of, of of Ivory Coast, who I think have a really really strong team, um, or indeed Senegal, who are the defending uh, yeah. champions. Plus Sadio just about, got, yeah. What about Egypt? Egypt, you figure always in the mix, um, and it's not just Salah anymore. I, I think Marmouche is having mm-hmm. a tremendous yep. season, and and I think he can he can really help. So. I would wager it's going to be one of those six. Narrowed it down for you. No, I want to see them because, you know, we can all look at players and like, oh, we recognize names from guys who or, or, or players we see week in, week out in the top leagues. But then I don't, I'm going to, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, was, I don't watch CAF World Cup qualifying. I, 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 I Understandably watch so. a lot of European stuff yeah. and I watch, watch South American you stuff. Can't watch everything. When you actually see how these teams play, with with a coach week in week out not week in week out but like you know every yeah. international break you get a much better sense so rather than steer you down a garden path that's what I'm going to do yeah. <laughs> Thomas Partey is reportedly back in training at Arsenal is he the guy to give them the lift of the title in the second half of the season uh, I like Thomas Partey uh, is he going to make that much difference I don't think that's the area where Arsenal have got problems I think uh Rice is obviously come in and done a, a very good job. They've obviously tried to play with two more attacking players. It's Odegaard on one side of him and sometimes Havertz on the other side. Uh, maybe they want a bit more energy in that midfield uh, to play alongside Rice and play Odegaard further up the field. I think it's a better side when he's in, he's in it, so uh, it could improve right. it. But I don't think they're going to win the title just on that. Uh, no, I, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm not a big party guy, but I do think he can, he can help your... I, I mean, look, you, you watch a lot of Arsenal. You can tell me if I'm wrong here. His original vision of Rice in front of the back four and then that sort of line of four mm. with, with Havertz and Ullard, yep. I don't think it's quite working. Works against certain teams, not others. I think it also hurts Odegaard because yep. he has to, you know, he gets relegated more to Saka's side. Yep. Um, the problem is, and, and then on top of that, I think against certain teams, if you press, I don't think Price. Rice, he's a phenomenal footballer. Mm. But I don't think he's as press resistant 
as you would like him to be no. in certain games. And he doesn't have necessarily the creativity as a deep-lying playmaker. He does no. so many other things for you. So I've actually liked him a lot when when they did play the way they did against Liverpool, when he had Jorginho with him, yeah. Yeah. or when they just have Jorginho in front of the back four and Rice plays further up alongside yeah. Udegaard. Maybe then have, have Havertz at center forward or on the bench or wherever you want him. So you think that Partey could play in that holding role? Yeah. the pro- push Rice further forward? Exactly. Or... Because the issue is, Jorginho can't play every game no. for you, and Jorginho will have deficiencies in certain games. Yeah. Partey can't pass like Jorginho, but I think he's he can more defend suited. better than Jorginho. Sorry? He can defend better than Jorginho. He can defend better, and I think he's more more suited to getting the ball in the situations yeah. on the half turn or whatever than Rice is. Plus, I want Rice to be able to come forward yeah. and shoot on goal. I think he's devastating doing that, which... He's an all-round midfield player. Exactly. So I'd rather have somebody with yeah. Rice... Yeah. Then just tell Rice, you know, Rice in that role at West Ham where he was like a third center back in mm. front of the back four. That's fine. But this is Arsenal and they play a different way. Yeah. Uh, just my take. Uh, Rada Krunic leaves Milan for Fenerbahce. Gab, he was supposedly indispensable uh, earlier on in the well, season. It looked that way. It looked that way, right? When Benacer was out and, and Benacer obviously at the Cup of Nations. Now. Um, I guess they're raising money. They've signed Terracciano, who's very good, but he's only 20 and he's played a lot of fullback too. I guess they figure that they can get by with the other players they have, right? Um, I think Bobega had a tough time, but I think he can take some of the minutes. But Nasser mm-hmm. obviously will take them when 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 he comes back, and you can go through. I don't like to see Rinders in that role. I think it, you yeah. lose a lot of Rinders. Almost should be on the left hand side of a midfield exactly. central three in the high. You know, Rinders and Loftus Cheek, for yeah. example, in, making in those runs through inside left and inside exactly. right position. Um, but I guess they want to raise some money um, and, and Terracciano is younger and I think he can also contribute more Arsenal they've been linked with Everton's Amadou Onaina you a fan Robbo? well it obviously says that Arteta going back to our previous conversation that he's not happy with Rice uh, Havertz and Odegaard so he wants another more dynamic player in there that, that probably hasn't got the passing ability of Havertz and hasn't got the passing ability of Odegaard but is more of an up-and-down player, great energy, can close people down, uh, can make forward runs, uh, scores the odd goal here and there. So again, I think he could play alongside Rice and Odegaard play almost as the, the number 10. I think that's how he wants to go, Arteta. And Onana is as good as anybody in the Premier League at doing he's, that. He's tremendous. What I would imagine, though, is I know Everton have a ton of issues, mm. but you they would want an arm, for a light, an arm and a leg oh, for yeah. and. Like something close to Rice, to Declan Rice money, yeah. and I don't think Arsenal are prepared to spend that. That's why they want Thomas Partey fit and ready go. for action. Fiorentina are also through to the Coppa Italia semi final, beating Bologna on penalties. Gab, you like both these managers, don't you? Vincenzo Italiano and Tiago Motta. Yeah, I really like them. I really like the way they play football. They play very attacking football. It's not going to be for everyone. Okay, that said, this game obviously finished nil nil. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Not a good but example. No, but they're very modern managers. Are very positive. They're very positive managers who who show you that, hey, I don't need massive names, massive salaries to create chances. Even though know, some of them have very good individual players. Obviously, Nico Gonzalez for uh, for Fiorentina and, and Zerxe, who's come up really big for Bologna. So, could one of these be the new Deserbi? Um, possibly. I mean, Thiago Motta, I think his next club is going to be a big club, not necessarily in Italy. Obviously, he's got the pedigree having been at Barcelona and at Paris Saint-Germain as a player. I think he was at Paris Saint-Germain as a youth coach as well, yep. if I'm not mistaken. So, um, I think these are two guys to keep your eyes on. 
Leo Bonucci's nightmare at Union Berlin is over, Robbo. He's on his way to Fenerbahce as well. What's it like when a ball-playing center half gets older? What does he need to do? He needs to read the game a lot better. Um, it's never been his problem. It's never been his problem. If you're, if you're losing pace and you're losing physicality, being a defender, it's always going to be a problem. People are going to play on that. You know, the one player that hasn't found that is Thiago Silva because he's still got that little bit of athleticism. Bonucci was never a great athlete. Now as he's getting older, it's even worse. So teams are going to say, stick it in behind him, play on him, uh, press him when he's got the ball because he's not going to be able to wriggle out of situations. So it's very difficult for him. He's got to be a fairly good side. That's the, that's the problem. Are Fenerbahce going to be uh, able to dominate the game? Probably in most games they play, yes. So he can he can he can be a decent player. And I think he needs to play in a back three as well. Yes, Borussia. So he's got a bit more cover. Yeah. Now, Mark Over uh, Overmars' one-year ban from football has been extended worldwide. Gab, it was inevitable, right? Yeah, like this always happens when an FA uh, suspends uh, a player or a coach for whatever reason. Um, they write to FIFA and say, hey, make this worldwide. Otherwise, mm. we're taking the mickey here. And then FIFA almost always extended worldwide. It was inevitable for those who, who don't remember. He sent highly inappropriate messages to, to female employees. Uh, you, can't, you, can't, you can't have that. No. Hopefully, he's contrite and he's learned his lesson. And, and you know, I don't, I, I'm never averse to giving second chances to mm. people who are found guilty and admit their, their mistakes. And, and I'm assuming that's going to happen here. More moves in the Premier League to Dortmund. Ian Matson, who's a player I really like, he's going there on loan from Chelsea. Um, Rubbo, he he was uh, an attacking fullback yep. at Burnley last year. He did really, really well. Yep. Uh, Pochettino saw him, maybe because he's little, yep. saw him as a winger, didn't get much playing time. Is this the right place for him, or do we still have the same problem? They have a million wingers already. They've added Sancho, and now they've added him too. Well, if you're looking at him as a, a left-back, Ben Sabaini is the left-back for Dortmund. Rierson can play there as well. So he's uh, sometimes they play with a back three, sometimes they play with a back two, so they need uh, a left-sided player that can get forward. He's certainly a good fit. He's just got to make sure he gets in the team and plays regular football. That might be more difficult to, than, than said. So you you, you you reckon maybe he'll go back to playing left-back? I think he might go back to, to playing as a left-back because he's got lots of attacking left-back. I think that makes a lot more sense. And, yeah. he's, and he's different. I mean, Rearson doesn't give you anything going forward. Ben Sabini gives you a lot more, but hasn't been pulling up trees since no. coming over either. Uh, has made lots of mistakes, so maybe that's a good move for him. Now, the Times report that John Textor is ready to sell his 45% share in Crystal Palace. He's apparently angry that he doesn't get more of a say in club affairs and angry at Steve Parrish for voting a ban on transfers between related clubs. Tell me more. Yeah, so this is a story that types. Obviously, Jules and I, John Textor is one of our favourites. Um, so he owns a bunch of clubs. He owns uh, Lyon, famously, in in France, he owns uh, Bochafogo in um, in Brazil. Uh, he owns a club in Portugal as well, I think. Uh, sorry, no, is it Molenbeek in Belgium? Anyway, whatever. He owns yeah. some other rando club. He is one of those multi-club ownership is the way forward, guys. Uh, this is what I never understood is he he's the biggest individual shareholder in Crystal Palace. Um, you still have Harris and Blitzer um, involved there. Still have Steve Parrish, who also has mm -hmm. a big chunk. And yet, he doesn't get to run Palace. And I think this really annoys him, which to me suggests, why did you yeah. buy the, Why did you put this money in if 
you weren't going to be in charge. It seems to make no sense to me. And obviously, look, Steve Parrish isn't Texter. Parrish is going to do well, what's good for Parrish and what he cares about and what's, what he thinks is good for Palace. And a ban on transfers between related clubs to Steve Parrish makes a lot of sense. Now, ultimately, that ban didn't go through. Um, they, didn't get, they didn't have enough votes. But I find it extraordinary that Texter would be able to go to Parrish and say, oh, Steve, you need to do what I say. Parrish says, hey, wait, who's running the club? Me yeah. and you. It's me. Yeah. And I'm going to do what's best for Crystal Palace. So while I'm often critical of Steve Parrish on this occasion, I am 100% Team Parrish. Dekaiser Franz Beckenbauer passed away on Monday, aged 78. Robbo, he was one of the giants of the game. Absolutely. Uh, I was obviously very young when he was at his um, pomp. But he was a player that, uh, at the time I was playing as a sweeper for the England youth team, and he was the player that everybody looked to. If you were a centre-back that wanted to come out with the ball, he was majestic. I mean, before that, he was a midfield player that was dynamic When in the 66 World Cup, in the 70 World Cup. It was, in, it was after that that he became the sweeper and made that position his own. People followed what he did. He could play the ball with the outside of his boot. He was like a Rolls Royce when he came out with the ball. And obviously a good character, and he won so many tournaments. A great player, a uh, great a defender, but also a great footballer when he came out with the ball. And then after that, he went yeah. into coaching and all he did was take Germany to the 86 World Cup yeah. final where they were beaten by the magic of Diego Armando Maradona. And then in 1990, they actually won it as well. And that was his only coaching experience at that point. Yeah. And afterwards, I got the sense he didn't really enjoy no. the day-to-day of coaching, um, but he became an executive at, uh, at Bayern. And then later came the bits that perhaps tarnish his footballing legacy mm. a little bit. Um, he had a bunch of issues with with FIFA uh, after becoming a member of the FIFA Executive Con- Con- uh, Council. He was accused of corruption. That case was never... That case had basically expired because the statute of limitations mm. expired in 2021, I think. It, it leaves you a little bit wanting what... Wondering what what might have been, right? Yeah. Um, I, I my memory of Beckenbauer as a player is pretty much zero. Although I want mm. to throw in the fact that he was also very relevant in the U.S. because yeah. he joined the New York Cosmos, yeah. played with Pele and Giorgio Chinali and Carlos Alberto, and won won three titles in in four years. Yeah. Right? Uh, back when. Yeah, the North American. And he still came back to the Bundesliga after that and played for Hamburg. For and won the title time. again. Yeah. He had a lot of injuries that season. It was his final season, I think. I think he played 28 games in that season. Um, but what what struck what, what struck me about him, the Beckenbauer, I knew which was the post, was the Beckenbauer, the football, the FIFA yeah. executive. Um, at the 2006 World Cup, he was the head of the organizing committee. Oh, this is another thing which later got him into a bit of trouble, but... He would. He went to every game, and we'd fly to every game by helicopter. And I remember I was, I think it was at the Westfalen in, in, in Dortmund um, for the Argentina with a very young Leo Messi uh, Serbia game. And the helicopter arrives, the car park, like right next to where we were. This is like an hour and a half before kickoff. And he gets out, and he starts shake smiling and shaking everybody's hand. But it's like random like car park attendants, like bin men, you know, Serbian fans were like, oh, wait, that's Beckenbauer. Like, he he really was, had this charisma, had this mm. leadership. Um, and I think that was a huge part of why he was a successful, mm. why he succeeded as, as Germany manager. Mm. And that was a big part of 
of his successes. And they also say he led, uh, Helmut Schoen was the manager in 1974 when they won the World Cup, but it wasn't a, a great tournament for them in terms of the way they played. No, they lost to East Germany. They lost to East Germany. But people say that it was Beckenbauer that eventually took over the team because it was not going the way they wanted to, and Helmut Schirm was They were quite- a goal down in the yeah. final against yeah. uh, Johan Cruyff's Clockwork Orange. Yeah. No, I, I think that charisma, that that side of it. The other thing is, he's a tough cookie. Hmm. Um, the greatest game, World Cup game ever played, uh, according to FIFA. Uh, uh, which it, Italy won, of course. Oh, yeah, they did. They, 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 Germany 4-3 in extra time, 1970, World Cup semi-final, which would have put him in a collision course with Pelé in the final. And by the way, and I say this now, and I hope the Italian gods don't strike me down, I think West Germany, I don't know anybody had a prayer to beat them Brazil 1970 team, but West Germany would have had a much better shot than than Italy did uh, in the final, I think. But he played from like minute 70 until the end of extra time with his arm in a sling taped to his side. He fractured his collarbone. Yeah, he fractured. I mean, he is, he was a one tough cookie as well. Uh, Farewell, Kaiser. Two years ago, Danny Alves was playing for Barcelona. Now he's in a prison awaiting trial for rape and his bank accounts have been frozen in a separate matter involving missed, uh, missed child support payments. Neymar is apparently paying his bills. Is that true, Gav? Uh, that's, what's, that, that's what's been reported. Um, it's sad for Danny Alves. I think it's sadder still for the victims um, in in what happened. Uh, it's a very ugly story. She owes two and a half million in child support to his former partner um, and also former agent. So the Brazilian court has frozen his funds in one case. And in the other one, he needs to mount legal defense for his case. He says the incident where he's accused of rape was consensual, um, but he can't afford a lawyer. Uh, it's, 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 it's crazy how quickly things have unraveled. And you know, I, I don't think you can fault Neymar for saying everybody yeah, deserves yeah. Yep. to have legal representation, right? So I, I got no issue with Neymar doing this. Bravo. This brings us to uh, uh, to an end. Thank you so much. As for always, in. Gab, it's been a pleasure working with um, you. We're going to be back on Monday avec Jules, of course. Uh, until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. 